0: Welcome to the Nightmare Box presenting The Art of Wargaming. I am Yaga Malark. And I am Onishiro. Welcome to Episode 2, Waging War. We are here in the bunker. Uh, You might hear my wife and the the cat, Cassius, uh, in the background. But, uh, yeah, we are here to talk about uh, Waging War and, uh, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, we were going to kind of do this first part um talking about uh something that relates to the rest of the topic and uh, something from our own war gaming experiences Mm. um oni has a lot of expertise in more fighting games um and that sort of thing and i'm more of a uh warhammer 40k so we're going to talk about some of the stuff we've had recently um recently i've had a buddy who has been using an eldar flyer spam list against me now anybody who who follows 40k meta knows what i'm talking about but for those of you who don't uh an eldar flyer spam is a whole lot of jet planes coming at you real fast and in those jet planes are uh wizards who are (coughs) (laughs) who are dealing damage to you at the same time that these jet planes are also hitting you with their guns and so it's a it's a very fast very aggressive technique that a lot of people find hard to deal with and three times I managed to defeat this, um, rather unlikely, uh, the first time I was using Death Guard, and mm. I, was, I was using Chaos Knights, and I mm. managed to have a helm on one of them, uh, the, the helm of Warp Sight, which takes away all modifiers. So the reason that this Eldar Flyer List is really dangerous is that you're taking negative two to hitting any of them, because right. they're all Altyok, and they're all negative one because they are super fast. And then you can do an additional negative one for stratagem. So you're looking at negative three on a particular flyer. Um, That's hard to hit. The Helm of Warpsight on my Chaos Knight uh, ignores all modifiers. So he just hits them like normal. Mm. And that's real dangerous when you're matching their toughness with your strength. That's a hard counter at that point. hard counter. Uh, The second time around, I was using orcs. And orcs are always bad at shooting. (laughs) And so, I mean, they always hit on sixes um and I, you can use a stratagem to make them hit on fives and sixes and so i'm just sitting there with my stompa which is a, a big um a, a super heavy orc vehicle night type night type yeah um and uh, just unloading the way i normally would do and i did fairly well there and then this last time i was using ad didn't know how i was going to do necessarily but um By bubbling properly and being right up against the edge of the board when I started, I limited the effect that he could have and... I pushed my Castellan robots right into his center, threatened some stuff that he couldn't really do without, and so he had to turn his stuff around and go back there, which was right in my firing lanes, and so I got to just blow him off the board.
1: Which is apparently probably something that he doesn't have to deal with very often. I imagine not. Like, a lot of people move off the backboard, so You can surround
0: fairly quickly or... or try to backpedal. Try to backpedal. Which is um, exactly what you
1: don't want to do. Right.
0: Well, because that Eldar list is all about hitting hard, hitting fast, and taking out your priority pieces before right. you have a chance to use them. Your job is to make sure that they can't do that first turn, and then to make good decisions after that with who you're shooting at.
1: Mm. Yeah, no doubt, and especially with like having the spam, you know, that like super high pressure. You know, you have to have an effective way to combat that. Right, because sure. it's not
0: just one aircraft. Or two aircraft, we're talking yep. like three of these things coming at you, and yeah, it, it can be it can be rough. Um, but I but I, I feel like I did well. He they were good games. He did well too. But uh, just anybody who's out there listening who might be thinking, what can I do about flyer spam? Um, this might be the episode for you. But Oni, <laughs> you uh, were just telling me about something in For Honor uh, that you thought related here as yeah,
1: well. Yeah, absolutely dealing with spammers. Yeah, um, some new uh, updates came through. Um, centurion and gladiator got a rework and neither of them are you know particularly hellish but on like mid to low tiers a lot of people have serious issues with them just for this a similar reason just a lot of pressure you know like a lot of like forward assault you know and uh, especially orochi keeps they keep they keep making him faster and faster and there's a lot of like spam that people have a hard time dealing with you know, it'll prevent people from getting it into, getting into the game, you know, even just having a, you know, given a copy, it's, it can be difficult, you know, and it's the same exact, uh, same exact situation. I've been, I've been, uh, helping people and dealing with it myself. And, uh, like recently I've been doing a lot of Kensei and Hito Kiri and they're all, they all use different defensive techniques to deal with the problem. Sure. And it's all about knowing that they're going to push in on you, you know. Hedo's got a lot of unblockables and hyper armor. Right. But, like, the idea is not to try to uh, throw charged heavies out, which is something that a lot of people want to do. Like, throw the big guns immediately trying to push through. They're spamming fast enough, they're going to hit you multiple times. They're going to hit you more than more than once, you know. It's going to be that 3-4 fighter jet style. You're going to be taking hits So you have to quickly and readily respond and know that that's what they're going to do, you know, throw out chaining heavies, you know, like people are upset at that, but you're, you're meeting spam with, with, you know, a different speed and a different response to that, you know, knowing your character, knowing, knowing your enemy, another thing that ties in today, both speed and knowledge of your foe, you know, absolutely Um, critical. Definitely. And same with whether you're doing that with Hito and using hyper armor and cancels or you're using Kensei and using dodge attacks and deflection or uh, superior block uh, to do the same thing, you know, to counter that predictive spam, you know, they're going to throw it out, you know, be ready for it. Sure, sure.
0: And I mean, it sounds like the key to getting a big upset, which is the point of any underdog. Um, When you're facing down a superiorly quick or a superiorly armed foe, um, it's kind of that element of surprise, kind of that element of being able to do something they weren't expecting or do something that they weren't necessarily, um, definitely weren't anticipating. So, like Mm. in Bellegarth, um, the biggest field upset that I've seen was probably that first year of Gladiators. That was back in 2005. And I mean, the Gladiators one on one. They were as you would expect most noobs to be. They were uh, somewhat competent, but most of them could not hold a, their sword to a veteran. However, that whole year of gladiators, we had spent the time uh, working on the basics. We had spent the time working on specifically the blank basics of moving. I had just gotten done being a uh, drum major, and the the bonus of that is we did drills constantly in marching band. It was just something that we were were really into. Um, and so I transferred that to gladiators and not a whole lot of people liked it until that first day on the Stygian field, Mm. because that first day on that Stygian field, they went out there and they obeyed the orders exactly as they were issued. And if you know anything about Stygians, you know that they are skirmishers at best, not really lion (laughs) fighters. Yeah. (laughs) And so to have a force that was moving unified and knew how to fight unified, was an incredibly uh, it, it challenged it challenged the the meta, if you will, at the time. One hundred percent. And we took on the Urukai and won. They were the dominant force in the realm at the time. They had all the veterans, and we won consistently at that time because people did what they were told. They they stood in line. But that, again, that was something that had never been seen in the Mountain Man culture of Stygia, um, and so it was that it was that unexpected that brought about a really big upset in, in the power structure of the realm. But Oni, I imagine that you've seen a big upset on the field yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, one actually, uh, I had personally myself and is a very, very similar to a situation that you're talking about. Um, we were running uh, Valhalla, uh, groups of two or more. And, uh, well, I think there are some solos in there that there always is, but, uh, and i was rolling with kaji uh kaji kuma and um we uh we were a very prominent and practiced duo uh and it was a very similar situation you know stygia is known for their skirmishers you know they're they're strong solo fighters and uh uh flanking and flanking ability basically you know they're they're mm-hmm. yeah it's a lot to deal with on a single situation and urkai being the Shield wall fighters, you know, the organized, well, semi-organized orcs that they are. They right. they try. They <laughs> And uh, fantastic, great unit. Um, but uh, Kaji and I were rolling two men, and we were practiced. And we were both running uh, DPS support weapons, six to eight foot, two handers. Right. And we, man, we killed double digits, 20 plus, low 30s just at one after the other because the opponent wasn't prepared right they would roll up on us and we were sprinting we were full energy full force all the time you know they weren't they were thinking oh they're tired you know they've been fighting for 15 minutes you know they're still <laughs> it's fine we'll just roll up on them but they weren't utilizing proper tactics you know they weren't prepared for us to be ready to go right. and it was the same type of thing you're just taking taking prey on the uh, enemy's misthought.
0: Yeah, and and that's, that's absolutely kind of uh, the, the point of that Sun Tzu is making, especially in the last chapter. Um, but I think it's one of the big ones that he wants to make in this chapter. And um, the big point that we're, we're going to be talking about today is economy of force. You're going to hear me use that term a lot. And what economy of force means is doing the minimal action to achieve the maximum result. It seems like it's simple in practice, but uh, a good a good example of something like this would be min blocking with a shield, mm. covering just enough of your shoulder, that it will block what is needed, but not more, because Truly. you don't need to. And you, th- from there, you can spring into other things. So, we're going to get right into it. Um, the the first thing that Sun Tzu is talking about in this particular chapter is the importance of speed. He says, I have heard of reckless haste in war, but never have I heard of uh, caution that was called for. Which is to say that you can go too fast, but going too slow is is way worse of a sin because he includes, and here he's talking about, that it will bankrupt the state. It is expensive to maintain an army. In real life. Truly. Um, and so the, the the concept of beating your opponent before your state went bankrupt was a, a big deal, especially at this time when people were getting into wars for a lot of different reasons. Remember, he was writing during the war in states period. Um, and so this this idea of economy of force, doing the minimum amount, wasn't just a matter of preserving life, which was important too, preserving the lives of your soldiers, but also preserving the state, <laughs> and, and the resources of
1: the state. Which was presumably what you were fighting to, you know, assist or support in the first place. Or expand. Or expand, yeah. excuse my French. Or, or
0: But all those things, all those things were were, were absolutely reasons for going to war. Um, so you might ask yourself, okay, what does this have to do with Bellegarth or with uh, Warhammer 40k? We don't actually have to maintain supply lines or anything like that, so what's the point? Well in the in the case of either field position is huge. If you command the field, then you command where the fights are going to take place, with who the fights are going to take place. If you send out your strongest fighters to be in specific areas, they are going to command a certain presence in those areas and and it will change the the face of the battlefield.
1: It's everything. well, not everything but a gigantic factor.
0: it's a gigantic yeah. I mean, and and the, the flanking should be thought about in this way for, a, for a, a number of reasons, but the big one is that the flanking isn't so much about getting in there and killing people. I mean, that's, that's obviously the fun part of it. <laughs> but the real thing about flanking is that it, 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 it stops your opponent. It makes your opponent do something that they weren't expecting to do in the first place, makes them fight on your terms. And when you have the speed advantage, you can make those calls. And, and the same thing in forty k. If you're if you're moving quickly across the field and you're putting pressure on my gun line, mm. you're making me make decisions I don't want to make. I'd, I'd love as an admec player for you to stay over there. It's easy to make.
1: <laughs> it's absolutely easy to make the easy calls. You know, it's easy to play everything by the books when everything's going your way. Right. But but speed often confers
0: an advantage, and it, it, it confers an advantage for two per, really particular reasons. Target selection and target priority. If you are moving quickly, then you get to make those calls. And, and again, the target selection, in the case of Belegarth, you're, you're talking about archers. You're talking about pole arms. You're talking about shieldmen that you know are going to be a huge issue or, or any fighter that you know is going to rack up a kill count. Those should be the people that you are targeting. Those are your priorities. High priority. And as the speedier team... Again, you can engage those people with the people you want to engage them with. You know, I'm not going to send my weakest fighters up against your strongest fighters. It's, it's just not smart. Unless it's a bait, unless it's a, a a feint in order to draw you into a position on purpose. Not necessarily ni- nice to use your friends this way unless they know about it ahead of time. <laughs> but, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this, absolutely. This idea of... of um, like turkey feathers, turkey feathers. My apprentice, turkey feathers. Um, he's a guy here in Stygia. Um, Great fighter, Great amazing guy. fighter. And anytime I'm across the field from him, I'm always thinking, how am I going to? He's he's a priority.
1: Yeah, he's, he's high priority. Gonna get kills. And maybe for similar reasons, he's fast. He's got right. high speed. Yes, he can cause big problems immediately. You know, and that's and that's exactly what you're saying. When when you have high speed, you are choosing. The, the battlefield. You are choosing who's fighting who because right. you are making the initial engagement. You're not being a responsive fighter. Right. You are choosing the, the initial assault. And, so, and sometimes
0: the most effective thing can be uh, a static nothing happening. Let me, let me mm. kind of give that a uh. context. Let's say I look across the field and I know there's a particular fighter who's going to give my team problems. I don't know if I can necessarily take that fighter. It, may, it might be 50-50 or they might have it on me. But I'm looking at them like they're an issue. Nobody else in my team can deal with them. So I'm going to go over and I'm going to just stay out of range. Yep. I'm going to just draw their attention, make sure they're focused on me, and try to stay alive so that my team can wrap up everybody else and come and deal with this problem as a group. Because second best to being able to take out your priority target is just to Stop, neutralize. Yep. Just neutralize that target in their tracks and make it so they're not doing that damage. because. I mean, if they're, if they're not able to do the damage, it doesn't matter if they're dead or if they're just hung up on something. But this goes for for a 40k, too. If you know that your opponent has tanks, big tanks, and you have nothing that can really take those tanks on, getting right up on those tanks and and getting base to base with them so that they can't shoot the next turn, that's just as good as destroying them a lot of the times because they are still taken out of that fight.
1: Oh, Truly. And from a fighter aspect as well, uh, you know this is gonna this is gonna make you a better fighter. you know you're never putting yourself in an easy shot situation. You're not gonna be like it's much more difficult to build bad habits fighting these fights right you know because if you're trying to learn, if you're trying to get better, these are the fights where you're going to do it, you know?
0: Exactly. And and speed is also exceptionally important, not just in mm. terms of battlefield and battlefield position, but also one-on-one. Oh, 100%. When you're facing down that other person, the same things apply. If you keep up that pressure with combos and surgical strikes, uh, by surgical strikes I mean the shots you're throwing are not just wild shots. They're, they're shots that they're supposed to land. They're supposed to cause damage. And if your opponent blocks them, good for them. But... I, I don't throw shots that I don't intend to do something with, unless it's a feint. Yep. But even there, that's an intentional thing that I'm doing to open somebody up.
1: Yep. And um, you're doing it fast. Right. you got to have the fast breaks and you got to have the fast counter. you know, you got to be on the response. Otherwise, it's a useless device. And if you're wasting movement, it's
0: just as useless. You can't... Worse. Like any yeah. sort of wasted movement, any sort of uh, needless flourishing... Or posturing or anything like that. That's that's wasting time. That's wasting energy. Space, energy that you could be using to kill your opponent. Um, so this again, this comes back to that economy of force, the economy of effort. Um, never put forth more effort than you need to, uh, because it, it can be long days. We fight out there in the in the hot sun, and we're doing it without a whole lot of water. Sometimes, sometimes with hangovers. So take it easy. Do not uh, overexert yourselves, and and again, this the speed thing is is not just about moving quickly, but also always moving with purpose. So after strength or uh, speed, uh, Sun Tzu talks about the importance of gaining strength from the enemy, and this is the other part of this chapter: is the idea of gaining strength from your defeated enemy, not just using a victory to be another laurel, but using it to to strengthen your forces, to strengthen the state. And for Sun Tzu, this is literal. This is, he's talking about foraging instead of sending for supplies from the capital. You should always be grabbing your supplies from the enemy. And if you should capture 5,000 enemy chariots, you should absolutely appropriate 5,000 enemy chariots because they are now your enemy chariots. Destroying that kind of stuff is ridiculous. It's counterintuitive. Well, it's all very expensive. And... and uh yeah, it, it would be a waste at that time. So re- re- repurposing that stuff was a, was a good idea. Um, again, enemy enemy swords, armor, shoes, um, these are all things that have been taken throughout history by people and, and just kind of uh, re- repurposed for their own things. But you might think to yourself, what does this have to do with wargaming? For the most part, we don't play for keeps. Like, if I beat your army in Warhammer, I don't get to keep it. <laughs> Unless we're playing some weird deathmatch version of Warhammer that I've never heard
1: of. Um, Pink slipping armies.
0: Right. Or or on the on the flip side of that, it's not like when we kill somebody in Bellagarth they stay dead. And we're not going to loot their gear, because that's their gear. But, um, in kind of the abstract, uh, civility is absolutely a virtue. And... Learning from your opponent is something that you can do in these games where you can't do that necessarily in normal war. Because in normal war, your opponent uh, is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Hopefully by the end of it. But that means there's not a whole lot of conversation that can be had there. Here we can. You know, after we've done a match, after you and I have sparred, or after we've done a, a Warhammer game, we can sit there and chat afterwards. And if I was an absolute tool the entire time and made it a terrible game for you or a terrible fight for you, Uh, you're not going to want to teach me a whole lot. If you saw a huge hole in my defense or a huge error in my technique, you'd be disinclined to tell me about it because I'm a jerk.
1: Yeah, There's no reason. But if I've been
0: polite the entire time, if I've abided by the rules and not tried to skimp by on anything, and if we've had a nice, fair, clean, friendly match, well, then I can absolutely turn to you at the end of it and say, Hey, how did I do? And you can say, oh, wow, I really like these portions, but this could use some work. Or, you know, your formation here was, a little, try this, you know. We can have that back and forth. We can learn from one another. And so that's absolutely gaining something from your opponent, but you have to be nice to do it. You have to treat your opponent with respect, and you have to treat
1: your opponent with dignity in order for them to want to engage with you in that way. Truly. And even, you know... Even in old world situations where your opponent would die, if you blindly look at the fight and say they were defeated and don't, you know, look at what strategy your enemy was using, you know, the casualties that you took, you can go on to fight another fight and lose, you know, countless men or resources because you didn't take into consideration what your enemy was doing and what they brought to the table.
0: Absolutely. So learning from your enemy is absolutely gaining strength from them. Um, And in Warhammer 40k, you can do this literally. uh, Because um, most of the world, including here in the United States, plays by ITC, which is International Tournament Circuit, rules. Uh, If you're in Europe, you do Europe rules. But basically everybody else who plays on a national or a big level uses ITC format. And with the ITC, there's a primary mission that everybody's trying to get. Let's say there's six objectives on the table and you need to control or contest five of them in order to get a bonus point. But in addition to that, there's a bunch of secondaries that you can take, things that you can tailor to your army. And I would advise anybody who's having trouble thinking, like, what sort of secondary should I be taking here? Do something you're going to be doing anyways. Be advantageous to your army. Be advantageous to your army. For instance, I'm a gun line. My main mission with my big guns is to take out your big guns before they hurt me. I should be taking Big Game Hunter just about every time that it's allowed to me because those are the things I'm hunting anyways. Or if I'm playing my orc army and I'm screaming across the table a crash at you, well, I'm trying to get behind enemy lines anyways, aren't I? Truly. Well, why not get points for it too? You know? And so there's there's a, a philosophy behind that too. Do as little effort as possible. If your secondaries in Warhammer are something completely deviant from what your army is capable of, you're not going to score points. Um, so so do what you're doing, anyways. Try to score points doing what you would be doing, anyways. And uh, in this way, you can also gain strength from the enemy without, you know, knocking him out afterwards and taking his models, which is <laughs> inadvised. <laughs>
1: Unless you're playing black market Warhammer. Right. You know? right. We're Underground Warhammer. No holds barred. <laughs> Two men enter. One man leaves. I brought the Tyranid man. You're going down tonight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing, literally, gaining strength from the enemy, goes back to that civility idea. And it's the idea that in Bellagarth and in the fighting game community and in Warhammer 40K, you have teams. You have groups of people who um, are sorry about that. My cat, true to form, decided to try to sabotage the uh, show again by getting into Oni's bag, and we had to deal with that briefly. Uh, So I I was on the point of recruitment, that um, in all these organizations, you have groups of people, teams, that are vying for international competitions and international notoriety. The best way to attract people to your team, the best way to sell your brand, is to be a good opponent is to be somebody who they walk away from the field or they walk away from the table and they're like, man, I may have gotten my butt handed to me right there, but he did it with a smile. And I'm real happy to have met that that person, you know? Like, that's that's what we should be striving Truly. for, I think, you know? Because, uh, again, I I know there were several teams that I was turned off of in Bellagarth, that I was offered membership in, that I didn't want to be a part of because they had this reputation for For being mean to people or for being uh exclusive or something like that and i didn't I didn't want that reputation I, again, you know you might know those people and they're not that way, but if you come across that way, you know it's all about how you come across it's all across yeah exactly so if you're looking to recruit people uh honeys vinegar, some sort of proverb about both of those <laughs> mm, truly yeah
1: yeah if you you know and that's a big deal if you are trying to go with these methodologies because If you are running vinegar style, you know, these people are less inclined to actually work with you. Right. Or might, you know, work with you at first, but bear heavily in mind how they were treated or Mm -hmm. how they perceived how you treated them. Right, right. Regardless of your intent, you know, where if you are, you know, good game, good game, and, you know, talking to people and being a good sport, you know, generally, like, people are much more open to at least interact with you and be open-minded as... To fighting with you.
0: Or, I mean, just being nice to you back as well. Truly. And everything we were talking about, there, learning from each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's civility is always best. Um, we don't want to call it chivalry or anything like that because it has nothing to do with gender, but it has everything to do with dignity and respect between people. Um, but to use something that doesn't involve
1: any of those things, let's go to our battle <laughs> of the day. <laughs> um, Oh, I think, you know, I don't know. I think, oh, well, yeah. No civility, truly. No. Yeah, uh, so, some might look at this, the the
0: Mongols, and wonder how did a group of stepfaring faring hunters, nomads, manage to build one of the largest empires that has ever existed on this earth and do it in a very short amount of time hmm. with a whole lot of success. Well, they used the... Uh, things we were talking about so far in this episode. They used this whole economy of force, uh, the economy of effort, speed, and gaining strength from the enemy to always be one step ahead. Because they had to be. Hmm. They, they couldn't afford not to be.
1: So yeah, There's the, no missteps in that situation. No.
0: No, you, you can't make mistakes. But the step uh, trains you not to make mistakes. And so uh, Genghis and his brood uh, did quite well at, at doing so. So today we're talking about the Battle of Nanquo Pass, And this happened in 1213, um, and was technically between Genghis and the forces of then Jin China. Um, But this was Tolui, specifically, his general, who he had sent to say, this is the shortest route between our main forces and China. I need you to secure it. And the the way that, as the name suggests, Nankul Pass, um, it was between the Plateau of the Dragon and the Tiger, and was about 20 miles away. From the capital. We're talking real Mm. close. But the pass itself was about 14 miles long. And on either side, you had fortified positions. We're talking full-on walls with spikes and dudes manning those walls who were trained in archery and pouring oil down on people. Like, it was just not a good place to go.
1: Huge counter-siege units. Huge, dangerous archers. Right. Ridiculous numbers.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is what China had on its side. So
1: Tolui, approaching this, of course, knows
0: he can't directly assault the walls. He hasn't brought any siege weaponry of any sort and cavalry make for a poor siege unit. So what he ends up doing is he ends up sending his general, Jebe, I don't know if I'm actually pronouncing that correctly, I've only ever read his name, Um, but he sends this general Jebe to go about halfway down the pass, looking as though he is a reconnaissance party. So he gets about halfway down the pass, turns around, and goes into a full retreat. Well, the Chinese soldiers manning these forts are like, Ah, we got them! And so they do this full-on attack. They come pouring down out of the different portcullises, and down out of the sides of the pass, going down after this retreating horseman reconnaissance party that then turns around with the rest of the army, who have just come up behind. And the Chinese defenders now find themselves in a very hopeless position against a strong enemy in a strong counterattack position. They destroy the army, going against them, and then move up and seize the forts on either
1: side, securing this pass for future movement. That are basically unmanned at that point because of the overextension. Exactly.
0: So in this way, um, Tolui used both of these things we're talking about. He used speed. Because once that battle was on, it was over very quickly. We're talking infantry versus cav. That doesn't work out well for the infantry in most cases. Um, And then he used seizing the strength of the enemy because he took these forts. And then later in the campaign, when they tried to uh, lay siege to the the Chinese capital uh, and were repelled the first time because winter was coming on, they had these strong positions, such as Nankua Pass, to fall back to so that the next year, when everything thawed, they could immediately move out and resume the campaign, at which point they took over China. Most of China.
1: <laughs> a relative term for such a large land mass. The South held
0: out for quite a while. They had the walled cities. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah, so, like I said, totally did both of these things, was very good at them, he, he showed an incredible economy of effort, and that's really one of the most crucial things in waging war, like we were saying, is just making sure that everything you do is aimed at destroying the enemy. If you're doing a one-on-one fight, you shouldn't be throwing shots that you don't know where they're going to land. Every shot you throw should be aiming to take a limb or kill them or whatever the case may be. And if you're doing stuff in Warhammer 40k, you should not be taking shots at things that you have no hope of killing. If you've got a group of guardsmen and you're shooting them at a knight, strength 8. Or T eight with uh, strength three weapons. It's not going to go. You're well.
1: wasting your time.
0: Especially, I mean, if that's the only option you got, it's the only option you got. But if you've got tanks and things that can aim at that night, those guardsmen shots are far better placed at something else. And, Truly, and so using every shot to count is kind of what I got out of this. What do you think?
1: Oh, absolutely, and that and that ties into the same thing you were talking about before. You know, changing your secondary to what you're going to be doing anyways. You know. Use your strengths as an application, you know, if that's, if that's what you got, if you guys are the best cav and you are fighting against a group of archers, you know, use their hubris against them, you know, you know, they are huge numbers, you know, they think they're just going to stomp you, make them try to use that against you, you know, pull a retreat in front of them, an aimed retreat, make them overextend, you know, like, and then do what you do and right. then use that against them and do what you do, run them down, you know, they're not going to be able to make it back up the hill. They're no longer in an advantageous position with a bunch of counter siege set up, you know. They're now you've changed because you knew what, what they were going to do. You know, you agged on what you wanted them to do. Controlling
0: the battle, making them go where you want them to go, having the priority objectives where you want them. These are the key factors of the economy
1: of force. So, application.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I think the application of some of these concepts um, would be better served by some stories from us. Um, so, neutralization. The idea of neutralizing your opponent on the field with your actions. I, I, I rather enjoy this one. No, um, oh, it's
1: absolutely classic.
0: But it involves being able to command either one opponent or several opponents and, and not have them engage with anybody else. And you're not necessarily doing much at all except squaring off against them. Right. But you're still commanding their presence, their thoughts, their actions on the field. They are looking at you, paying attention to you, and not doing it to anybody else on your team, which is the whole point of the neutralization game
1: absolutely just putting a wrench in the cog absolutely just stopping whatever kind of plan whatever kind of situation they were going to bring bringing their speed to a stop changing their plan forcing them to look at the situation as a whole
0: and and forcing them to have to change that to have to deal with you instead um and, that, and that's one of the huge points about neutralization. And this is true in, in Warhammer 40k as well. Like I said, if you rush your opponent's tanks and engage them in combat, it doesn't matter if you can actually kill them at that point. They can't shoot you. If you're rushing up on your opponent's tanks in Bellagarth, which is to say the heavy shieldmen or the, the spearmen, and you're staying right outside of their threat zone, but making it so that they can't make a whole lot of moves on you, you're absolutely neutralizing that opponent as well.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And down to, uh, like, a classic RTS or uh, MOBA style, uh, you have a five-on-five situation, you know, you have a bad counter jungler, you know, he's ganking lanes, he's he's above level, he's got a lot of gold, he's been farming, and he's tearing up your jungle. You know, you didn't have a jungler at all, you had nothing there. At that point, uh, neutralizing, dropping from a lane, making a change, being like, Hey, I need to stop this, this snowball. You know, I need to, I need to let this change course. It's, and it's all about even just being there, even just being in the jungle to stop it, you know, being on that end of the line when the counter flank happens you know, addressing it. And even if it's a bad situation, sometimes calling attention to it is what will stop a plan.
0: Sure. Uh, yeah. Once people will know what, what's going, that you, the, you know what's going on, uh, it can, it can stop their plan. I know teams like the Brotherhood of the Falcon that they don't particularly care if you know their plan or not, they're going <laughs> to follow yeah. through on that one.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, Cause that's their style, uh, for a lot of the, a lot of it, but no, uh, you know, it undermines the confidence of the enemy player if they think that their tricks have been exposed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that's about knowing your enemy, like we were talking about, knowing that they have the confidence to follow through with their plan, no matter what, you can pull them into bad situations. Sure. You can pull them into advantageous situations for you when their aggression does not do them any favors.
0: You know, I, I ran into a situation like this at one of the Auk fests that I attended. Mm. That's Oktoberfest. It's an amazing event out in Illinois that I love to make. For um,
1: nothing but good things.
0: Oh, yeah. It's it, it's just an amazing sight, amazing people, amazing battlefield. Just if I said amazing one more time, I'd hit myself with a whip. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things they did at this particular AUKFest was on the far end of the field there was like a fort constructed out of hay bales and there was a way in on three sides uh and it was right up against the edge of the world so there was a mm. way in kind of on the let's say the south side a way in on the west side and a way in on the north side and,
1: and the south and the uh the south wall was protected uh so one team
0: starts kind of south side and one team starts kind of north side so
1: you can still fully surround the fort
0: well, you can you hit it at about the same time when because mm-hmm. like the fort wasn't one of the main features of the battlefield, but it kept leading to the victory going one way or the it other. It
1: was a central point.
0: It was because whoever took the fort had the chance to slide along the opponent's back line when they inevitably overextended themselves, forgetting the fort was there,
1: controlling the battlefield. Controlling that the battlefield is- So I was noticing that
0: my team was consistently losing because of this fort, and I had noticed that a lot of the enemy's players on that side were vets. They had stacked Mm. that side pretty hard with their really good players. Right. And so I looked at I looked at the side, and I wasn't about to rearrange my team. I'm I'm a nobody in the East. A few people know me in the West. You know, I can right. I can sit down at a camp in the West for the most part and be welcomed.
1: Yeah, you're known a longtime fighter, and you're respectable, and you treat others with respect. I
0: appreciate you saying so, sir. Um, <laughs> it's but, on
1: topic too. <laughs> but
0: in the, in the East, I don't I don't have any sort of notoriety whatsoever. So I wasn't about to rearrange my entire 100-plus person team based on something I observed. And, and to their eyes, I'm basically a noob. So mm. I, I knew that wouldn't necessarily go my way. So I went to that side, and they were mostly noobs kind of kind of on that side. And I addressed them, and I said, Hey, I know you guys don't know me from Adam, but I see a way for us to win here. Are you willing to try it? And they said, Sure, let's do it. So I said, Okay, we're going to rush into the fort really fast. Loved. <laughs> we're we're going to get them to kind of break their formation because they're thirsty because they see us breaking formation. But nobody is going to engage. The second they start to engage, we start to fall back. I'm going to be behind you, hollering the entire time about what you should be doing. So don't worry. You're not going to get left behind. But so we're going to run inside the fort and then I, we're going to fall back to our entrance. And then I want you to concave, which is to say I want you to make a semicircle on that outside. And they followed my instructions. We ran inside that fort, made a bunch of noise, and I was like, "Fall back, fall back!" Fall. We looked like we were going back in disarray. The enemy was hungry for us. These vets were like, mm, "Gonna claim some noob scalps!" Like they were all up on it, and they came right into our trap. <laughs> and like three or four rounds in a row, we stomped that side because they wasted their strength coming against our concave, which is the, the which is the like. That is the essential of an economy of force when you're using a concave because it means any shot you're throwing is lethal and it's supported. Right. It's it's an amazing situation that if you can find yourself on the winning end of the concave, it's an amazing place to be. But if you're on the opposite end, it's, it's not as great. So we were able to break their strength. And then when the rest of our team was pushing forward, we were then able to push forward through this fort and take the field.
1: And... Oh... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you had other factors going in that situation that I personally believe in. I love the green skin, like, fresh blood uh, status. When you're working with, like, the purity, the, the untainted minds of new fighters Mm -hmm. they are willing they're willing to try things they're willing to do things they're willing to like put faith in someone instead of you know having the tainted jaded views and be like oh i don't like this person you know i don't know who this is you know i'm not willing to try that and then you have the advantageous mindset against the vets you're fighting right they are like what is happening you know at first it's like met with like almost, uh, anger even, you know, you're like, what? Pfft, pfft. well, I don't know what happened. All right. I don't, I don't know what happened, but we're just going to go back in there and we're going to stop them. Right. No big deal. And you do the same thing. Happens again. And they're, and they're boosted because they're like, oh, we just got it. Mm-hmm. They, these guys are not invincible. These, this is not an unbeatable situation. We can do this. And so they're on high. And so they're not, your opponent's not ready. You know, they're just not they're not thinking about it they're not treating it with respect because they don't know who these guys are and they they're not they're whatever look sure. at these you know and that's where you want them to be that's
0: it's using your opponent's hubris against them absolutely uh making them overextend themselves like a wave and crash upon their own momentum <laughs> is the whole idea of it and and you hit the nail on the head i think when you were talking about um the, the spirit of new fighters. And I, I know that vets rip on noobs a lot, but one of the things that I love about new fighters is that they're usually hungry for a plan. Mm. They're usually hungry for somebody to say, hey, we're going to roll in, in an oblique formation, and then you and you are going to roll around the sides. like they, Because they haven't been around, and they don't have an assumed plan in their head, vets, I think, are more resistant like, to big plans because a lot of them have already gotten an assumed role. They have their style. You know what? Six years in, I decided that I was a tank, which means I'm walking at the enemy. And if I've got people (laughs) on either side of me, that's swell. But my job as a tank is to walk at the enemy. I don't want to hear your plan (laughs) because I, sir, am walking... (laughs) <laughs> at the enemy, <laughs> so but it's not you know it's it's it, they they found something they're comfortable with, and so especially if a noob is trying to tell a vet what to do, a lot of times will be recalcitrant. And it's again, you say we're jaded, we're cynical, yeah. but we've seen a lot of things fail. But I, the nice thing about new fighters is that you can say, "Hey guys, I got a plan. Let's try it." And as long as you're not sitting there trying to like, I didn't pull rank. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't sit there and be like, "You should no, listen to me just,
1: because yeah. I said I got a, I got an idea." You re you just reached out yeah exactly and that's and, and that's something that I think veteran fighters you know from fighting game community to real life fighters in these multi-human situations can learn from is flexibility sure. yeah you are you are you know a, a tank fighter maybe be open to a different use of a tank you know be open to you know you got someone you know that throws out these kind of crazy whack ideas and they're like, yo, I know you're used to walking forward over here every time, but like, why don't you try walking forward from this angle over here while I'm doing this? And instead of just being like, well, dude, I don't know what the honky donk you're talking about. Maybe there's something to it, you know?
0: And, and no, you're absolutely right. That flexibility is huge. And and I think again, the the, the trap a lot of vets fall into is a lot of us have been in a unit for a while. Mm-hmm. And so we've adopted our units style, so to speak. You yeah. know, like when you speak of God Squad, you mm-hmm. know that there's a particular style they bring to the field. Absolutely. When you speak of the Uruk, you know there's a particular presence that they're always gonna have. When you speak of an Urukai fighter, they they yep. most most units are kind of typecast yeah in a way like they're looking for a particular type of person a particular type of fighter in order to to fill out their ranks to make it look like a cohesive whole
1: it's, especially when you have these national teams that don't always get to practice together they right. they want a cohesive style and a cohesive you know plan
0: so it, it kind of makes sense that vets might be resistant uh, to doing something that might be outside of that norm or <laughs> <point>. <laughs> <laughs> uh the cat um so but yeah, so it, it makes sense to me, but you know this is this is an idea to if somebody's got an idea, why not listen? um you never know it could just be that you know it's not a great idea, and the next time you don't do it because the the beautiful thing about something like Balagarth or the beautiful thing about something like War for Hammer forty K is that if you mess up, you're not actually dead, totally. um, you are momentarily out of the fight you get a breather and then you can get right back into it. So new ideas, uh, help you kind of discover these, these scenarios and discover these situations. And the, the more that you're in them, the more that you experience tactical situations and new ideas within them, the more your mind's going to expand, the more options you're going to have in your toolbox. And also the more things you're, you're going to know are not going to work, you know, for, As long as I've been doing this, which has been a a decently long time at this point, a full frontal charge, nine times out of ten does not work.
1: Garbage. just
0: doesn't work unless you are an extremely well-armed, well-armored force just rolling over an opponent.
1: A low-tier, like, low-risk situation.
0: The full-on charge is disorderly. The full on charge is disruptive to command and control and it can isolate your best fighters uh, and and make and take them out of the fight, neutralize them before they're able to be used in a, in a way that's advantageous to your team.
1: Because the others in that wave that are not at that pace, that are not able to follow the cavalry, the footmen, they're not going to be able to properly support the tip of that wave, the first frontal crash. Right, right. Um, No, you make make an excellent point. So once you get a handle on what role neutrally you take up, what presence you bring in a neutral position just Mm -hmm. as the unit, as the army, as the force, then you have to look at use of energy into the style what is cohesive, what is conducive as energy use for your style. How how does that like apply to your different types of armies and factions in Warhammer?
0: Well, it, yeah, you guys a very interesting point. Um, and in, in Warhammer, we have three different like main theories for the building of an army. We have a gun line, which is what I typically like to play. And the way that works is you have your... Your core figures, which are your your big guns, I like to use Onager Doom Crawlers and Castellan Robots because I'm AdMac. Right. Um, but they're your big guns. They do a lot of damage. They typically move fairly slowly, and you've got them surrounded by your chaff, your your fodder, your fluff, um, and these are ju- I use Skitari. Um, But the idea is that you want to extend that bubble out as far as you can. You want to have as many of these um these Skitari or these 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 bubble uh units out there because they die instead of your guns. Is the idea.
1: Interference.
0: The, interference. They they get in the way so that your big guns can do their talking and they they don't get interrupted by things like charges or or um something that doesn't go according to that plan.
1: Right. They're conducive for energy use for that style. It allows you to put as much heat as you can right. into your big arm. So
0: the neutralization factor occurs when your
1: bubble uh, encounters your enemy
0: force. Hopefully that bubble out there is is distracting enough and is doing enough that your enemy wants to shoot at it and engage with it instead of your big guns. Meanwhile, right. your energy is directed to the big guns, which should be uh, targeting very specific targets. You, right. your, your target priority should be on. So with my Onager Dune Crawlers, I am always targeting the biggest shootiest thing on their side because I want to neutralize that. I want to make sure that they cannot reach out and touch me with their big guns because once that's off the board, I can pick my targets as I will. Maybe, yeah, it's just a matter of convenience at that point.
1: And it's and it's both. It's all three of the factors right. in waging war. It it, is, well, mainly in this one, the two plus neutralization, which we've touched upon very heavily. Right. It's use of neutralization. You know what your interference is going to do. And so you're you're using that as a mastery. Every move, you know exactly what you need to do based on the enemy, you know, which which way you want to head. And that way you capitalize on speed. You don't have to mess around letting those units go to waste like a lot of people like to do. They're like, these are my interference guys, whatever. This is my shockwave troops. And they just let them die. You need to capitalize on them as much as you can. Use them to their maximum. That way when you're hitting with that you know, the big arm the big cannon you're maximizing you're getting everything out of it right it might only get you a couple extra shots but those couple extra shots might be game winning uh,
0: yeah those can win the match absolutely uh and the bane of any gunline army is a horde army which is the next type i want to talk uh, about a
1: personal favorite
0: uh, i i enjoy them too <laughs> i recently picked up an orc army because i was reading some of the warhammer lore um it was a uh Black Templars omnibus, Ooh. and so the orcs were like the enemies of the Black Templars. And the more I read, the more I was like, "Oh, I have to start an orc army. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to play these dudes." And I, I, don't win very often with my orcs, but I very much enjoy playing with them. And mm. I, I mean, my win loss ratio isn't bad. I don't win as much with as with my AdMac, but um, it's fun. It's a lot. More. It's, it's it's very fun. And so the the mindset is a little bit different when you're dealing with a horde army. And the whole point of a Horde army is that you have as many bodies on the field as possible. Um, you want to have a decent number of bodies with a gun line, but with a Horde army, we're talking like 200 plus models yeah. on the field. Just and and, But it's not a crazy advance. Like like we were saying about Bellegarth, a full-on charge rarely works. Oh, you'll get mowed down. Because they're sloppy. Yeah. But if you can manage to organize your orcs, I understand that's a contradiction of terms. But if you can manage to organize your orcs and make sure that they are advancing in an organized fashion and that they are engaging the enemy at strategic points, a horde army can be very effective, especially with the fact of neutralization. If you can get your normal horde troops just to touch your enemy's guns, you've neutralized them.
1: You don't have to kill them. Absolutely. You don't have to take them
0: off the field. You just have to stop them from firing by engaging them in close combat. And this also works because uh, there's a concept that if you defend everywhere, you are weak everywhere. And an Mm. work army or a tyrannid army kind of makes you do that because they are attacking at all sides at once. And so unless you get really specific about where you want to defend, your whole force is effectively neutralized just by numbers alone. Yep. And in this way, the energy of the orc force is in its numbers. It, it's not wasting anything because that whole wave is in and of itself a strategy. This thing happens in Bell. It happens in normal fighting as yeah. well. If you, if you look at the Germans when they were trying to invade Russia, Operation <sighs> Barbarossa, and they went to Moscow...
1: Stuffs the pants with uh,
0: newspapers. But they had superior weaponry, <laughs> they had the superior training, they had the superior equipment, and an army of Russian peasants who had no regard for their lives because the commissar behind them was scarier than the Germans. Oh, far. Numbers one.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Numbers one. Then the Bear War down in, in South Africa. Numbers one out. The Zulus were not as well equipped as the German and English troops. Overrun. Sheer numbers.
1: And it's at that point, it's exactly that it's use, you, you, you hit it on the head, almost terminology wise, while I was thinking it, uh, listening, uh, it's, what is your neutral strength? What is your, at that point it's numbers. So what is going to be the best situation for you in your neutral, just straight up surrounding your enemies, being everywhere. And so then you look at how do you use use of energy to maximize that. Cover, uh, proper retreating, proper advancement. That way you can show up on them uninvited, just right at their doorstep. So you can maximize less distance time with cover. You know, don't make the front charge. You're going to be right in line for any kind of range, any kind of long range DPS, you don't you're not pushing your neutral at that point right. you're you're wasting energy making things harder on yourself
0: and and the other issue you have is that if you're using a horde technique in bella or in warhammer 40k you need to capitalize on your numbers if you're trying to engage people in any sort of equal situation you are doing it wrong your whole idea is to try to catch your enemy out of position so that you can wolf pack them with your superior numbers and whittle them down without having to face their full strength. Because man to man, a horde army is not as strong normally. No. But what they have is those numbers. And so every single fight should be capitalizing on said numbers. The final type of Warhammer army, and honestly, Belgarth army, if you want to expand the term lo- like far enough, is an elite army. And an elite army is exactly what it sounds like. We are talking the best of the best of the best, sir. They have the best equipment. They have the best armor. They have the best weapons, the best training. They are just nifty.
1: When when I said personal favorite to Horde, I, I was wrong. This is... <laughs> This is actually absolutely my personal favorite. I was
0: going to say, usually when you play me, you want to play my Dark Angels.
1: Yeah. Elite Force. Yeah. I, I like fighting <clears throat> outnumbered. I actually, I, I think Horde's my favorite to battle against. Sure. I love the outnumbered. I love <clears throat> the elite forces.
0: Well, it makes for a good story, you know, going against it. Like, that's part of the reason Truly. I like playing orcs <laughs> is because I'm like, this is, whether I win or lose, this is an epic battle you know
1: absolutely so
0: I, I i feel you i feel you but i i struggle with elite forces because there is no room for error with no, an elite force with a horde none. force if you lose 10 dudes in a, in a reckless endeavor you have a little bit of leeway uh, with a gun line if something goes slightly wrong if you've uh, allowed for contingencies you should be okay but in the in the in a case of an elite every single loss is huge. Every single model or every single player that goes down is, is a massive loss to your army. And so you have to be very concerned about your angles of fire. You have to be very concerned about your your loss to, to taking of enemies ratio and attempt to keep all of that up. Um, so you you're, you have to abide by these rules even more strictly in this case than others.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly that. That is... That is 100% what I was going to say. You need you need to be on point. You need to have everything from your neutralization down to your knowledge of your enemies down. Because right. you can't make any mistakes and you need to capitalize on all of theirs.
0: Well, and a good example of an elite force is a marine army. Uh, mm-hmm. And in Belegarth, a good example of an elite force would be the elite blood falcons. They mm. have it in their name. And, Absolutely. And they're a group of guys that prides themselves on being... Or uh, guys and gals who pride themselves on being on all the time. Like every time they take to the field, they are there to do business, and they do, and they do, and so they live up to their name and to this particular play style of of war gaming. Uh, and so, speaking of Belagarth, let's just go straight into talking about some some Beligarth fight styles and and how this kind of relates in.
1: Oh yeah, it's 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 huge. It every you know every weapon and fighting style that match match them or don't match them is a big deal. And uh, fighting style to style in your local realm is one thing with mm-hmm. people that you practice with consistently, and you learn about them. As to going onto a national field, where all of a sudden you know you're used to two handed eight footers just robot-shotting a line over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden there's this, like, mad, you know, counter-flanker style that's sprinting and spear-stabbing and taking down flankers and taking down stragglers and strong fighters. It's That's the kind of things that throw people off. Those are the type of, you know, weapon-style weapon uh, roles as you're talking about style roles that changed the battlefield.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's different everywhere. So when Oni and I are speaking, we are, of course, analyzing using the mountain man perspective that is (laughs) Stitcher. You know, we're an isolated realm in Montana. We don't get the exposure a lot of the realms do. We're getting a lot better about it these days by traveling around. Oh,
1: yeah. But
0: we still have this isolated style. But we notice, we notice that there's a certain way that Midwesterners do things. There's a certain way that the Easterners do things. Uh, The Californians have their own particular way of going about fighting.
1: Absolutely. And
0: so, we're, we're of course, are going to be coming at it from our angle. We'll we'll try to look at it from y'all's angles at some other point. Maybe have y'all on to talk about it from a Californian or an Illinois point of view. Um, But for now, you're going to be getting the crazy mountain man perspective. (laughs) Um, And so... You know, I, I noticed that you like to fight what we, I think you would call support, right? You're a support yeah. fighter.
1: Yeah, I'm a DPS support. So, yes.
0: what does what a support fighter look like within Bell?
1: Um, you know, there's, there's quite a few support roles. You know, you've got melee support roles, you have spearmen, and those can range from uh, shield and spear, which are less aggressive and uh, <sighs> foot powered. As a standard sword and board fighter, they're more reliant on a line. They're more reliant on interruption. They're very much support-based as a style. I feel personally, you know, maybe people would argue that, you know, but one-handed spear is just not, you know, the strongest weapon style for 1v1 fighting. Sure, sure. Uh, But otherwise, you know, pole arms, huge. uh, uh, Dagger fighters often are support, even... You know, one-handed fighters are support archery could yep. be, that's and that's why. yep. Then you start getting into range, and then right. you got archery. You know, those guys are absolutely huge. Just pulling the minds off of the enemy fighters and being like, "Am I going to get shot with an arrow?" is is a game-changing amount of thought to apply to some people's minds. Oh sure, it's, it's huge. And then you even got middle grounds like rock throwers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not not calling you out or anything, but it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely one of the most frustrating things to have someone roll up on you and rock you in the face. And it's just, it's demoralizing for a lot of people. And you talk about, you know, having a strong neutral position, you know, having style, you know, support in that sense. One of the biggest things they can do is either mess with the minds of their opponents mm-hmm. or take advantage of that. Sure. And
0: so everything a support fighter is doing is is backing up or supporting, obviously, yep. the advance of the DPS or tank fighters.
1: Enabling. That's what we got to do. We got to either... Yeah, and I guess that's a better way to put it. When we are messing with our opponent's minds or taking advantage of it, we are either enabling our our tanks, our DPS... To do their job, to mm-hmm. do their uh, proper use of energy, their neutral stance, right. or we're taking advantage of theirs. I dig it.
0: No, that's perfect. I, and and without support fighters, the field would look very different. I mean, I'm 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 a support fighter myself these days uh, because of these body issues I got going on. Hopefully, getting back to being a tank or a DMS yeah. at some point. But I don't mind archery. Well, um, let's let's talk about some DPS. So, like, DPS would be, like, Florentiners. Yeah. Uh, really aggressive spear or reds. Yep. Um, even even I've seen some single-sword folks oh. that would absolutely <sighs> fall out into this DPS guy. Crazy, yeah. Shout which, out
1: to Dekinai. <clears throat> <coughs> name drop in the crazy one-handers. There, Dude. There's <coughs> nothing like them, though, and that's the thing, you know, just as I was talking about a big ore-shotting red fighter on a line, you have crazy single-handers. You have no idea what they're going to do, and the DPS they can pump out can be phenomenal.
0: Absolutely. And, and obviously, as the name implies, without your DPS, your, your damage-inflicting fighters, you're not going to win. No. I mean, they obviously need the support of the, the support guys and they usually need a tank to kind of go in and mess things up for them. Yeah. But a, a damaged person should be concerned with one thing and one thing only. And that is dealing damage to the opponent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> minimizing, uh, damage upon themselves because that is definitely going to impede their ability to do their job, to maximize their energy output and maximize what they're supposed to be doing.
0: Ab- absolutely. I I mean, that being said, I've seen some legged Florentiners just. Uh, <laughs> hey,
1: yeah, back a hat
0: trick it. at the end of the game,
1: back a corner, a tiger in a corner, and uh, you got some problems on your hand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk now about tank fighting, but I, I think I'm going to let Oni do a lot of talking about it because I know of one style of tank fighting, <laughs> and and I, I'm halfway decent at it. But uh, Oni, oh, yeah, n- decent, knows several modest. <laughs> <laughs> But why don't you tell us about that? Oni? these, like the different. Uh, so a tank is somebody who's designed to sit there and kind of take damage. In theory, that's the base theory, but there's a lot of nuance it. to it.
1: I love tanks. Yeah, I I'm a huge. Secretly, I'm a big fanboy for tanks. Uh, just because I work with them so much, and uh, uh, I mean, I guess I got in that regard, I have two favorite units. One are archers because they're my favorite units to fight. And two, tanks, because they're my favorite unit to fight with. And, yeah, I just, I love tanks. I love, I find them on the national field. I find them on our fields. I work with tanks constantly, and I have to know them to be able to fight them, and I have to know them to be able to properly fight with them. And tanks come in a million different flavors. Like, they are so different. There's there's only so many shots you can make. There's only so many shield, checks, bashes, and blocks you can do. So it's all about how you use them and your kit.
0: And it's really limited, isn't it? I mean, it's it's one of those things where, because those shots are so limited, because usually the tank is right there on the front line, facing down the other tanks and the other pole arms and the archers, every shot they make has to count. They're kind of the elite fighters of the field in that way, because if they make any mistake there on the line, it's over. Like a tank has to be on point all the time. They can't, like, if they're throwing a feint that they dedicate too much to and they lose their arm, they lose half their reason for being there.
1: A hundred percent. It's absolutely exactly what you're saying. They are, they may be, a lot of people have the perception that they have a lower you know floor to get on because you're playing defensive and stuff and that may be true you might have a low skill floor to get into shield work but the ceiling is huge sure and the elite fighters a ton of the best fighters that control the field and do a lot of work are in this category are in the tank shield fighter category mm
0: Absolutely. I mean, as I'm sitting here, I've got so many pop into mind that I, I I can't really think of a good example because they're all good examples.
1: They're yeah, absolutely. And they're, and for the most part, they're all great. You know, like I love, I love the attitude of tanks, you know, because they're there to help their team. They're the most support. Yes. That's their job, arguably, but arguably the biggest fallback is when support doesn't help their team Mm. when they're not doing that. And so, tanks bar uh hyper aggressive tanks are always there to help the team and that's and that's it is then how how are they doing that you know what kind of tank do you have right there are like i was just talking about there are hyper aggressive tanks that try to do the wall crash and they're great but you know what they die they die so often and
0: if they don't have follow-up They're not really useful.
1: Yeah, and a lot of time those follow-up are whoever can keep up with them on the sprint to the line. And I can't tell you how many people know what that will really bring, what that'll do. Because those people are crashing into it, and yeah, they might get a limb, but they're done. And if there isn't a Red Fighter or a Spearman or Archers immediately capitalizing on that split-second instance, you are you're dead in the water and you've gained nothing. That's a waste of energy. Purely it's to the, to the zero down to the zero. Um, I, and it's a bummer at that point because that's such a powerful role. And that's such an important role to, to do exactly opposite of what you should do. And that's, I guess that's a good example. You're, you're, you're saying exactly a huge waste of energy. You're putting all your force into something that you're not supposed to be doing. You're not a DPS. You're not a support. You're not supposed to be like head bashing a wall with aggression. You are the wall. You're supposed to be making this, holding the line, making uh, a setup. You know, ha- working with your your team. That's the whole point. And so, yeah, you got that. Yeah, I love on that note the nice middle ground. I love like the hybrid tank. I love the DPS tanks. I love the counterflanker tanks. You know, this is also another, you have to be high skill. You cannot be on the floor. You can't be just throwing stuff out. You are going to be fighting the elite fighters on the other team every time. You're going to be fighting multiple opponents, and you have to be able to work with other counterflankers because that's who they're trying to kill. You know, they're trying to kill captains, leaders call out shot makers and they're trying to fold the line, you have to stop the the push. You have to stop the real waves, the ones that are going to break the walls down. And that's a hard role to fill. And on that note, then you have the farthest end of that, which is the static tank. And they are the hardest role end-to-end polarizing-wise to fill for tanks. They capitalize on the neutralization the, the holding a role literally you in a situation like bell you are known you your enemy knows exactly what you're doing and they're already trying to figure out how to stop you hmm. your 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 mind games are this is high tier this is high tier stuff this is not like Big guy, whatever, because and that's why it's so polarizing if you have a low tier version of this, they get walked on you know if you cannot back up the wall that you're throwing up you're it's worthless you know, and that's about using your style and that's and that's where that comes in that's the problem if you have a wall that goes berserk when they get charged they're worth they're just as worthless as the shieldman that's just checking the line yeah you're not backing anybody up you're just opening yourself up you're it's it's not conducive you need the high skill you need the parries you need the pocket shots you need to be play hyper defensive make them overextend they're coming at you you're you're standing there motionless waiting like I love counterfighter tanks even if the even the slow roll is just it's the best thing ever because if people fold the lines start to move even if it's solid and you have a spread out like static tank line it's never pushing forward like these people are have to be enticed by support fighters by aggressive dps to move forward because they won't do it and then it and it cap it's just Top tier, as far as like mental mental control, is the static control that those tanks have.
0: Well, it sounds like they need a lot of defense or
1: a, a discipline to do what they're doing. Definitely, a lot of practice, and they have to know their opponents. Yep,
0: Yeah. It sounds like it would pay off. So we've been we've been talking about the weapon styles a little bit, how they relate to this DPS tank support mm. nomenclature. Um, but let's talk a little bit about those weapon styles too. Because I I think there's a lot of important points to be made about, like, sword and board specifically, not necessarily dealing with it in the idea of a tank or a a DPS. Right. Um, I mean, archery, for instance, is one of the ones where it's kind of easiest to see this. Uh, As an archer, you have a limited number of shots. True, on most fields, you can collect your arrows or collect the opponent's arrows as you go, but every time you bend down to collect an arrow, you're leaving yourself vulnerable. Every time that you remove yourself from position to go get an arrow, you leave yourself vulnerable. So life as an archer is is all about economy of force. <sighs> yeah, Every shot you make has to have a reason. Now, I'm not saying that every shot has to hit its mark. Well, you know, about, I'm probably about 50-50 with my battlefield archery. I, I hit yeah. my target about 50% of the time, but I always make sure that I'm shooting at a target that even if they're distracted for a second by my, shield, my, my uh, arrow thumping against their shield... Or, or hitting their foot or whatever, that's enough yeah. in a lot of cases. So even even if you're not the best archer in the world and you don't have the best archery, you can still use incredible economy of force and this neutral posture is is the other huge part of it. Like if you're an archer and you're sitting there constantly at the ready and you've got your finger on the bow or your fingers on the drawstring and you're looking at everybody really aggressively, they're going to pay attention to you.
1: Arrow up!
0: Right. They're not, they're not going to... I mean, it, it's, it's like when a predator comes near a bunch of deer, they, they put up the white tail and they say, uh-huh, yep. you know, you're not going to do that. But as an archer, if you can be neutral, if you can keep the bow down, not necessarily look at anybody specifically, but look out of the corners of your eyes, maybe look like you're lazy, like you're not paying attention, people will stop paying attention to you. There's, I mean, there's other things, better things to pay attention to than a lazy archer after all.
1: Oh, definitely, especially when you don't think it's going to be able to hit you.
0: And then they drop their shield a little bit. And that's when you're able to get your shot in. So yeah. uh, archery is, is one of those, uh, people make fun of archery a lot. I, I, hear, I hear people make fun of it, uh, the, the whole style, quite a bit. And I ask them to try it. <laughs> I ask them yeah. to, to really examine the really good archers like Zuyang or Kyrian. Mm. You know, the, the, the archers that can nail their target every single time. They are the epitome of this economy of force that we've been talking about
1: yeah uh, but
0: you're a red fighter
1: yes i <laughs> <laughs> so you know I all am. about archers <laughs> i love them yeah i i abs- they're my favorite fight they're they're the game changers they are um in the sense they're the divine force on the field you always have to deal with them and if you don't take proper precautions, they'll drop you yep. in a half- in a second. Excuse my French. <laughs> uh, they they're dangerous, and it's exactly what you said. It's it's all about cooldown. It's all about properly using your time. You know, are you gaining full advantage of having a bow in your hand by making people when you want to pay attention to you, and when you don't want them to not pay attention, so you can capitalize those shots, because as a killer, as an archer killer, that's what i'm looking for. Yeah. when is how long does it take that archer to knock his arrow and fire a long range shot? is it take uh is it take 6 7 seconds cuz that's a big window, especially if he's out of arrows. It, uh, are you capitalizing on that because the longer you have, the more disruption you get, the longer your team has to do their job. Otherwise, if you're just blasting shots and not paying attention, and everyone's fully aware of you, and you're not able to do any damage and do your role, your energy's being wasted, it's much easier for someone else to capitalize on those mistakes. Sure.
0: Sure. And so you're not just leaving yourself open, you're leaving your team open at that point,
1: too. Yeah. yeah. You're letting your team down by, you know, feeding. Feeding hard. <laughs> so how does a red user capitalize on a can economy of force?
0: How, how does a red user who doesn't seem to in any way be neutral most of the times on the field? How do they kind of embody these lessons too?
1: Uh Well, that's exactly as you're saying. So you, you have to capitalize on exactly that on being a constant moving force. So when I take a side or take a point, it's all about immediate disruption. Sure, It's all about Oh, there's a two-handed on this side. There is a wall breaker. This thing, that's its job. And personally, I like the I like the flank, the counter flank style. I like picking at the end of walls. They're usually really strong. There's usually a lot of linchpin characters, linchpin fighters, very important key uh roles being held in these spots
0: what are your primary targets like if you're a red fighter and you're trying to maximize your energy what are your primary targets
1: i'll tear down support uh if i have if i've got a strong shield with me if i have have a strong tank a good counter fighter tank or a strong dps tank with me that's good at punching a hole when it opens up uh, uh, I'll start shooting support. I'll start taking down spearmen. You know, I rock a eight foot glaive most of the time, and uh, I love spear fighting. So I love to counter fight these DPS support the the spearmen that are just hunting for ankles and hunting for arms. I chop them down. You know, I I take the arm and I make the shieldmen push me because that's what the shieldmen are going to do. They see me going out for a punish, and they're like, now's my chance to shut this support down to stop this red fighter from being able to break reds and that's when the that's when the good tank steps in you know and that's why it's support you are you're pushing for your teammates i'm enabling my tanks i'm enabling that aggressive tank to then punish you know the other tanks are messing up now they're fishing me
0: right. you know
1: they're fishing and that's where the style comes in you know i'm i maximize speed i want speed And I may not throw as many shots out as some red fighters, and I may not throw as many stabs out as spearmen, but I'm maximizing what I'm doing. Like, I'm maximizing the force of a red on the field.
0: And obviously, with a red, as heavy as it is and as hard as it is to correct, you're not throwing shots that you don't think are going to connect. Never.
1: yeah, Never. I never throw a feint that doesn't lead into a stab. I don't throw... You know, any kind of if I even if I'm throwing a sweep, I better have at least multiple targets in range. That way, if one thinks it's directed at someone else, they don't see it coming at them. It's I I am all about maximum use of energy, maximum parry, like counter fight. You have to maximum you, effort. <laughs> you have to. It's <laughs> it's just it's. Just as we're talking about with those elite shieldmen you you gotta be able to make as many correct, speedy, quick, clean decisions as possible in a consecutive manner. There's no way to be archers that have range on you, shieldmen that have pushing aggression or d p s that can tear down forts you know tear down your limbs, make you unable to do your job. So, you have to capitalize on every action, every footstep, every shot, and that's just how it works for reds as far as I'm concerned <laughs> and that's i mean whatever you if that as a blanket statement as that is it's there you know, there are many styles that have a similar situation where there's just a way to run them optimally and you can run them in a different path but you still have to capitalize on the energy use and Florentine is personally I think is definitely one of those styles and definitely one that I know you are more than proficient at I do love
0: Florentine it's I mean being a lefty uh, gives you a, a small advantage at Florentine because nobody expects you to come from that angle. Weirdly, because no. you have a sword there. Um, but <laughs> but you we,
1: have two swords. You do.
0: You do. And, and, but that's also a weakness because uh, as a Florentiner, your economy of force begins far before you ever actually get into combat. Yeah. Because as a Florentiner, if you get shot on your way to your fight or if you are stabbed by a, a long-distance spear shot or nabbed by a javelin or any of the other things that a shield would normally guard against, yep. you are no longer useful as a Florentiner. So a Florentiner must rely on one of two things to succeed, to maximize their energy and, uh, and be where they're supposed to be. And and these are either the hard flanker Florentiner who relies mm. on mobility yep. or the counter Florentiner who relies on surprise. They're more of a stealth thing, and and mm. you can tell them apart by where they appear, where the line starts to break as, as people get close. Because the flanker has already gone wide. The idea Every of, time. Every time. <laughs> because the mobility Florentiner needs to outrun arrows, and needs to outrun reds, and needs to outrun anything that's going to outpace them. So if you're not a sprinter by nature, the uh, flanker Florentine uh, style is not necessarily good for you. But if... if <laughs> those short bursts of cardio for you, it makes for an excellent style. But again, they're relying on mobility. That's that's their entire purpose. And so if they get shot in the leg...
1: It's you know, game that, over. It's game
0: over, basically. Where on the counter side, you've got your Florentiners that will hang back inside the line. And they're usually toward the edge of the line, but they're using a shieldman to basically block for them. Disruption. Disruption. And then they're waiting for some uh, a break in the line a hole to occur where they can get in and the the florentine is generally far better in close quarters than most other styles because you can get really good wraps on both sides um i I like to call it the atomic scissors it's one of my favorite
1: very real
0: i like to usually start it with atomic and then hit them before i say scissors (laughs) because i think it's funny um, In true anime form, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta call out your shots, man. <laughs> uh, but um, so so the Florentine, it, it absolutely and it's it's another one of those ones like Archer. You cannot have wasted effort. You cannot no. you cannot be out there and and doing anything that contributes to your death because it's high stakes as a Florentiner. You have the least protection with the most uh, damage output, and and there are Florentiners that are amazing at blocking and amazing at controlling the battle. But a sword just cannot be as many places as a tower shield. No. It just can't. No. Um, and we, we kind of touched on, on sword and borders a lot before, I think. Yeah. Uh, like, kind of transitioning there. Um, and, and they also have the same kind of uh, f- lack of flexibility in shots. Whereas yeah. the Florentiner has an a entire realm of possibilities, Ugh, but they're in high endless. danger all the time.
1: High risk, high reward.
0: Uh, the, the sword and board user... Doesn't have as many options, but they're in a general state of static protection. As long as they're angled correctly, they can block most arrows and most, sh- like, spear shots or or green shots without really a whole lot of effort. Yeah. So, for the economy of force, there is just endurance, is patience, is waiting your time for the right time to strike. Because if you throw a shot too early, like we said earlier, you, you lose an arm as a, as a shieldman. Yep. You're just a walking shield at that point, and while you still have your use, you don't have that lethal. Bite. Can't do damage. So it is far better as a shieldman to sit there and suffer the, uh, the the blows of the enemy and wait for them to make a mistake and overextend. I think
1: that's and that's where you need that support. That's where yeah. your support comes in. That's that's why squatting is like such an important thing. Even if you are a lone type fighter, being able to uh, fight with. An anchor point off of it you working with someone even just knowing what they're doing even if it has nothing to do with what you're doing technically the fact that you know that they're tanking and they're pushing this it's all about teamwork and working together in that regard so the last big one that i can think of that i know you are definitely take as a personal style uh most people have a hard time with it, even though it's the basis for the sport, uh, single blue. It is. I, I, I preach
0: that all the time. Any of my students know that I I, I say that entirely too much. But it, <laughs> but it's true. And, and you'd think on a field as diverse as having a bunch of reds, which is to say pikes and spears and archery and Florentiners, which are people using swords in both hands and with all that diversity, a single sword wouldn't seem uh, a wise decision for armament. But... It can, in fact, be one of the most useful styles on the field in that it has the truest form of flexibility. Mm. A single blue user has the best speed. I mean, even a, a, a min red user is encumbered by their weapon naturally. A uh, single blue isn't. They can go just about wherever they please. They uh, and so the skill ceiling is extremely high. Yeah. If you're out, I mean, I, I recommend to anybody to go out there with just a single blue and do it for a year because your skill level will go through the roof.
1: Oh galaxies
0: but um and so when you see a single blue user on the field they're either very new and can't afford a shield or they're somebody who's very dangerous and should be avoided because they know what they're doing the reason they take to the field with just a single blue is they have mastered these points we're talking about 100 economy that you can because again no wasted effort with a single blue you're dead i mean you you mess up at all and you're dead yeah um, so they have to they have to capitalize on every situation they have to use their their teammates even more so than than any of their other companions
1: it's yeah it's the apex of what we've been talking about
0: and and, and companions the the other huge part of this is how people fight together and so i I want to talk about oni for a second because he is one of my absolute favorite people to fight with and the reason for that is i I feel like he compliments me in his style because he's a very aggressive fighter thank you uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but he's not aggressive in, in like the berserker way that we're, we're talking. He doesn't just run in and get himself killed. He's a guy who enjoys opening shots. He uh, baits the enemy. He gets in there and, and makes moves and and makes the enemy rethink about where they're going to go. And when they're considering him, their opponents or his, his um, teammates can make their move. And that's not to say that Oni can't do it himself. I mean, he's very good at landing red shots. He's very good at taking legs. But I've often seen him leg, leg and leave, something we like to say a lot, because yeah. that's, that's the economy of force. Once he has neutralized his threat, he moves on to something else. So it's it it may exactly. seem like a berserker type thing when, it, when somebody's being very aggressive, but in fact, it can be a very calculating strike. It can be a, a, an aggression that is specifically... Calculated for the situation. Would you disagree?
1: Oh no, absolutely not. Yeah, it definitely. I and and that's what I. He says why I'm not berserker style. Very honestly, because he knows I use the rage at the the sound. You know, I am a lot of people that fight with me know I am loud. I am so so loud, and <laughs> I. I use it as a form of disruption and it places my neutral stance immediately in an aggressive slot. You don't need to know me to know what I'm doing right there. And that's what I want to do. I want to make them focus on me. Let the other support, the other DPS tanks do their job unhindered, you know, make sure that archers are trying to shoot me and I use it deceptively. I, I, Pull that. I build upon that, and then I immediately break it. Mm. I move rank. I drop my line. They'll know. You know. I'll tell them ahead of hand, eh, ahead of time. I'll be like, "Hey, I'm gonna pull a ton of aggro over here, and then I'm gonna bail. I'm gonna leave you guys to deal with this. Are you good?" And I'm
0: like, yeah, we're ready.
1: <laughs> and and I change the field with that. I'll then, and I know you know a a good tank. On the other end of the field, you know, I got a, I got a kaji, I got a malark over, I got, I got a turkey over on the other side of the line, and they know I'm coming. Mm -hmm. And you push, you stack that line on one side, and all of a sudden, boom! You sprint. I get quiet. I drop the aggression because I don't let it control me. I control it, and I use it to control. And so then you're changing it. They think you're over there. They think you're working. You got people running to support that line and you're on the other end with a shredder tank tearing down the wall that they don't care about that they're not even worried about Hardcore
0: at all or deception right there
1: exactly exactly
0: which is not something you expect of a red which is why it's so devious
1: <laughs> thank you <laughs> i appreciate it uh just uh, like your style i mean and that's i think that's why we mesh so well you're a non-traditional tank. You take the, the static tank to the next plane. I absolutely love counter fighters. I can't say it enough They because they can do it all. If you can't counter fight, you, you're not going to make it through high tier. It's just not going to happen. You're going to get beat down by A and S tier fighters that know how to mess with people that know how to get into people's heads that that can manipulate you through whatever means and your style is and that the best part about all counter fighters is that it doesn't work that way you know it just it doesn't work that way you're already in their head you know even though they might be messing with you trying to throw feints whatever you counter shield men have not only the wall, but they have aggression. And it's all comes out whenever they decide. Whenever they decide to throw the counter. I mean, I can't even I can't even tell you how many times I've watched you in a fight just not throw a shot against a really skilled opponent and just lock them down for a couple hits. Bang, 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 bam, and then just throw. After you know where their combo's going, you're like they peter off after two solid shots, three solid shots. So I'm going to wait for the no-risk opportunity to shut them down. And you'll pick all that information up being exactly what you are, a static tank. You know, It's not about just standing there and looking scary or holding a wall. You're taking information. You're watching other tanks fight. You're, wa- you're, you're picking your holes. You're like, when this line rolls up, I know exactly where I'm going to make a snipe and step back, and step out, and maintain distance, maintain control, and I, I love that, because that capitalizes with a good support, you know, I know when someone tries to peel out after me, you know, when I get someone mad, and they're like, I'm getting that guy, before he finishes, (laughs) before he finishes that sentence, he's getting punished by that countertank, it, it's,
0: well and that's and that's our point on the field as as a as a counter tank i mean I, I it's nice that somebody appreciates it because a lot of people yell at me for being too static
1: um <laughs> yeah i mean yeah where where what is what's that what's that energy what's the choice that you make when you're when you're applying your energy when you're applying the neutral force like when to move forward when to make the counter.
0: Well, again, I I often think to myself that I am not useful to my team dead unless my death specifically leads to my team winning. Me Mm. dying in a careless manner does not serve my team in any way. So it it behooves me to then be patient. And I I suppose I've been doing shield work long enough that I'm I'm, I'm confident in my blocking when my arm's doing okay that... um, I can sit there and be patient. I can sit there and wait for my opponent to make a mistake because I mean, a lot of times people will. If you're not responding, if you're not sitting there doing the trade back mm-hmm. and forth, people get frustrated. Oh, yeah. They almost they almost feel like you're toying with them and they'll start throwing harder, wilder shots trying to land something. And at this point, they usually open themselves up. And so at that point, you just kill them where they're open and, and move on to the next person. And, and so I suppose that it's... It, it just takes patience. It, it's the whole point of it. It's nice to be able to have somebody who's able to force my opponent to do something else. Because again, if it's just me, they're being patient. I'm not sure if I could accomplish much, but when I've got somebody like you rushing up on my side and, and, and forcing my opponent into positions where they are weak against me, well, that's where I shine.
1: And that absolutely. And that's, and that kind of leads into like our last point on this, which is, uh, fighting cooperatively and the types of fighters that work well together. So we are both uh, highly, we can, we can be highly aggressive, but we're counter fighters at heart. We want to uh, affect our opponents in one way or another. And, and we both open holes in that way. So we are, we're both essentially in different manners Aiming our use of energy at the same types of goals. So in the end, we work well together. Whether I open a pocket or you open a similar pocket for me, we can advantageously, uh, simultaneously take advantage of these things. So it's just good to have a conducive uh, style when working with people in this. It's like you need to be able to work with tanks if you're a a red you it's so important to learn to move and make shots around and be uh helpful to your tank help them be a tank draw aggro do these things and it's important for tanks to be able to work with support weapons to support a spear to cover an archer to pull aggro, they, that's, that's your job. And, and your job is to help. Your job is to carry your fellow men around you. And you can't do that if you can't work together.
0: Absolutely. Uh, And, and being able to work together uh, comes back to this idea of learning from your enemy. And and so when we first started fighting, we were fighting against each other for the most part. And I learned that you were a dangerous fighter. And, and you learned that I was somebody to pay attention to. Thank
1: you. To. Yes, I would say greatly and, and, <laughs> more than
0: that. <laughs> and that, that kind of forced us to study one another. And then when we both started working together at the Gladiators Program, um, oftentimes... We put ourselves on opposite teams because there's only the two of us naturally as the instructors, and if we were both on the same team, that would lend an unnatural advantage
1: you to what yeah, you know. you've got a stepbrother's situation going on there <laughs> exactly <laughs> so we often put ourselves
0: on separate teams so that we can uh counterbalance one another, and that's often exactly what we do uh fight opposite from one another, and so this has actually made us very good at predicting what the other person is going to do, which in turn makes it very easy to work together.
1: It, it's been crazy. I've never seen such a light switch of a uh, partner, of someone to work with. I I mean, when we fought years and years and years ago in studio, when we would uh, be on the same team, I would basically just, I mean, I'll, I'll take the blame. I <laughs> <laughs> I can be a a wild hair of a support fighter. I I'm sprinting around all the time. I'm running around. And it's but it's similar to your style, it's on or off. Right. But my native position is the on switch. And I use the off as the deceptive where you are the opposite. Mm-hmm. And the off is the native and the switch on is the deception. Mm-hmm. Which is really what's made us such a good team is it's so easy to <laughs> quickly uh, apply the other side of the switch i don't need to turn on if uh or vice versa if you're already ready for that right click you know and and when we've been fighting like that for yeah it, it excuse the ramble of the brain but that's how I, that's how i <laughs> felt when it first happened and we had not we 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 teach together so much i'm i'm used to just fighting against you and the kids learn from that as you were saying like mm-hmm. they pick up how to assess proper targets and not just you know fold to a pressure to figure out that there are different ways to beat those situations and when we when we started fighting together recently on the same team it was it was effortless mm-hmm. because i knew what you were going to do right
0: and, and, and like I said, I, could, I can feel what you're going to do, which makes it really nice if I'm doing the shield thing, because otherwise you're just out there, uh, a leaf in the wind. <laughs> so to know that there's somebody who's got your back is a good thing. Um, well, I, I, I think we've covered a lot of, of this topic of economy of force. How about you?
1: Uh, deeply, uh, thoroughly.
0: <laughs> well, if you guys have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Um, We're always looking for feedback, so if you know either of us, please get in touch with us. We're going to have an email set up uh, fairly soon, so uh, we'll be having those in the links. And uh, thank you again to Nightmare Box Productions for letting us have a space here. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, This is uh, Yaga Malark signing off. Oni Shiro. We'll see you guys next time for Strategic Offensive.
1: Keep on slaying it. (laughs) We can cut that. (laughs)